Welcome to Your Inheritance, your rights, your obligations, your responsibilities, with your host, Peter Buknevich. In each episode, you'll learn insights from experts. If you're being sued over an estate or if you feel you're not getting your share, Peter's firm can help you. You can find this show at www.betrustlaw.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Now here's the host of Your Inheritance, Peter Buknevich. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Appreciate that you tuned in. Today we're going to be discussing, so what is a contest to a will or a trust? Now, nothing in this podcast is intended to provide direct legal advice or will provide any advice. If you have a prospective contest issue to a will or trust on either side of the case, you would want to reach out to a lawyer to get legal advice. And you can feel free to call our offices and we'll be happy to give you a consultation, a free consultation as to your particular issue. Um, that said, also, as we begin uh, our discussion about will and trust contests, uh, there's something I want to share with you. Um, litigating a trust in a state matter or any matter, going to court over anything can be very challenging. And it is very important that the client and the attorney are able to communicate with each other in a very straightforward manner, person to person, in confidence, so that the client, you the client, can make the best decisions for yourself and for your family. Um, expectations must be grounded in the reality of controlling law and the facts and the evidence. And at our office, our goal is to be your zealous advocate in court, but also to be wise counsel in private so we could help you navigate the processes of the court, always maintaining decorum with the court, always practicing in an ethical manner and being respectful to the court and get you through any process that you need to initiate or you need to defend and make wise decisions so that it is to the benefit of your family in these stressful situations that are court proceedings. Uh, no lawyer can guarantee an outcome in any particular case, but if you understand the rules and um, understand the issues, you understand the issues and you understand the rules and your lawyer, of course, has to understand the rules um, and you do the proper analysis of the facts and evidence, you can increase the, prob the, you can increase the probabilities that you're going to come out with a best possible outcome and hopefully a good resolution uh, whether it's by going to full uh, decision, uh, statement of decision at trial, or hopefully a negotiated resolution with your adversary, um, following that process will help you a great deal. And we're, and we're there to assist you every step of the way. So what, what, what is a contest of a will or trust? How is that defined in California law? And I can only talk about California law because here at Bookenetics Law Offices, we practice California law. And we go to the probate code, California Probate Code, section 21310, 21310. And it says that as used in this part, a contest means any pleading filed with the court by a beneficiary that would result in a penalty under a no contest clause if the no contest clause is enforced. 
Okay, so first, to do a contest, you have to have standing to bring the contest before the court. So you would have to be a beneficiary or an heir at law or someone who is connected to the decedent who, who created the will or the trust that you would be able to complain about it, to contest it if you believe that you're not getting your fair share or that you were been, you had been written out or you had been, um, your share had been inappropriately reduced or any of those things. Uh, now, what is a direct contest? A direct contest is statutorily defined in certain primary ways. Um, it's not everything that you go to court for that you might be complaining about the executor of the estate or the trustee of the trust, how they're administering the trust. A contest means that you're alleging the invalidity of the instrument, a protected instrument. The law calls it, calls it a protected instrument. That is a will or a trust, or some, there are other instruments that could also be subject to contest, but we're here focusing on wills or trusts. And you are alleging that it is invalid on, the statute says this right in 21.310 subpart B, Direct contest means that uh, a contest that alleges the invalidity of a protected instrument on one or more of its terms based on one or more of the following grounds. Forgery. Okay, you're saying, someone might be saying that this really wasn't executed by, uh, this will really wasn't in the handwriting. It's, it's, it's a forgery. Someone someone falsely uh, procured this document and it's, it's, it's all pretense. So forgery would be a contest. And then Someone who's defending them will say, no, that's not true at all. It's not a forgery. It was witnessed by two people. Uh, in the state of California, you have to have two witnesses. You don't have to notarize a will, but you sometimes people do. Um, best practices might be that you notarize a trust, but you, you, usually we don't see too many alleged forgery cases because most practitioners are uh, careful enough to make sure that the person signing the document is the person signing the document. But sometimes it does happen. Um, and then there's a lack of due execution, that it wasn't executed properly according to the rules, such as having two witnesses or, or a variety of things like that. The, the biggest uh, source of contests of wills or trusts probably is number three, lack of capacity. And in an earlier podcast, um, we had a very lengthy discussion on the standards of determining capacity uh, and undue influence even. Uh, in a very thorough discussion, that's uh, the, that podcast is uh, on the YouTube website, and it's also on our firm website. You can tune into that and get a very, I think, good uh, a good uh, synopsis of the relevant law and concepts on, on on lack of capacity. Basically, when someone's saying that someone did not have capacity to execute a will or trust, they're saying they did not have the the competent mental capacity to understand what they were doing, to properly know the natural objects of their bounty, their family, their children, what they were doing, or the size of their estate, so, such that they are um, unable to execute that document, um, and they're incapacitated from it. In that earlier podcast, we did discuss that the capacity rules in California are, are very liberal in favor of finding capacity. You don't have to have a lot of mental capacity. Um, you can have challenges. You can, you can even have 
you know, some cognitive difficulties, and you will still uh, be deemed to have capacity in most cases. Um, uh, the, uh, the standard is uh, probably the lowest standard of capacity for executing any contract next to the marriage contract. There's a policy in the law that people can uh, understand that they want to be married and they is that anyone can say I do um, and they want to the, the law wants to promote that people can have that that uh, that right um, the law in the state of California generally favors as long as someone's not leaning on you with undue burden and undue pressure that a person has the right to do what they want with their own money in creating a testamentary instrument and in disposing of their assets at the time of their death the way they see fit um, and so even if in other parts of your life, you're maybe struggling with managing different things and you can't do the things you used to do anymore, those things aren't going to take away your, your uh, capacity, generally speaking. Uh, they might subject you to susceptibility to undue influence, but they won't take away your capacity, generally speaking. Um, but that is something that you allege it, that is a grounds for asserting a contest. The fourth is under the statutory guidelines is menace, duress, fraud, or undue influence. If someone's pressuring somebody by coercive pressure that overcomes that person's own willpower to do what they want, and they're being forced into it, and you prove it, that could be a, um, a contest, a successful contest. Duress, same thing. Fraud, tricking somebody into something they don't know what they're doing. And then undue influence, which is generally defined as coercive pressure that, that affects the testamentary act, such as to replace the testator or the trustor, the creator of the instrument's willpower, kind of obliterates that and puts the undue influencer's willpower in place of that. And the law, the law will not tolerate that if you can prove it. Uh, and there's uh, there some other uh, technical uh, definitions um, uh, under the probate code for um, what constitutes a contest, revocation of a will pursuant to section 6120, revocation of a trust pursuant to six, section 15401, or revocation of an instrument other than a will or a trust pursuant to the procedure for revocation that is provided by the statute of the instrument, and, uh, uh, and on disqualification of a beneficiary under Section 6112, 21350, or 21380. And 21380 is a, is a whole topic of itself for another day. That's typically known as the care provider statute. It has a whole range of um, presumptions of undue influence associated with this. And we'll probably address that in our next, in our next discussion. The next thing to consider is, you know, once you know what a contest is, and I think we have a good framework for what a contest is, is what is a no contest clause, what does that mean? Um, if you don't have a no contest clause in your will and you don't have a no contest clause in your trust, then then it, it's it's not going to um, it's not going to have any effect. There's not going to be any penalty associated with bringing a contest. A no contest clause means a provision in an otherwise valid instrument. If you've got a valid instrument that's on all fours with what it's supposed to be, uh, executed properly, a no contest clause means a provision in that instrument that if you enforce the no contest clause, 
would penalize a beneficiary for filing the pleading bearing the, the contest in court. So basically, someone, you know, you or, or any of your relatives has a clause in their will or their trust that says, I want my will to be followed exactly the way I put it. And if anyone contests this, I wish that a, it's my desire that they don't get anything or they get a dollar or, or whatever. I, I, I generally try to tell people not to, uh, you know, a no contest clause that leaves a dollar to someone is tantamount to leaving them nothing. Uh, so I, I'm not sure that that's the right way to frame it, uh, oh, a uh, no contest clause, but it, it is important that if you want your wishes respected and you want to make sure that people adhere to them, that um, the testator or the uh, trust creator or the trustor would put in a clause that, that so states that and says that, look, if anybody interferes with my wishes by contesting this and, and, and saying I didn't mean what I said, I'm going to eliminate them from getting anything. And uh, that is a, what the no contest clause is. And you bring a no contest or, or you bring a contest by filing a pleading in court. It's not just complaining about it outside of court. Um, there might be some conduct that could rise to the level of a contest. That's a, that's a, a, a story, uh, a subject for another day, but statutorily to, 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 have a contest, to have something considered a contest under the law, you would file a pleading in court that asserts that some part of the instrument is bad because it doesn't properly reflect the intent of the um, person who created it or for any of those reasons. The per person's lack capacity, they were unduly influenced to create it. And so a pleading is means, what is a pleading? A pleading means a petition that you file in court to bring forth the contest, a complaint, a cross-complaint, but a contest could also, under this section, uh, 21.310D, be embodied in an objection to a contest. It could be in, in, embodied in an answer to a contest or a pleading or a response or even in a claim against the estate uh, if it has contesting language in it. So uh, the court has to look at that on a case-by-case -case basis. The, the law states that a protected instrument means all of the following instruments. One, the instrument, the will or the trust that contains the no contest clause. Um, and an instrument that is in existence on the date of the instrument containing the no contest clause is executed and is expressly identified in the no contest clause. In other words, you're saying don't contest this document that I put forth that relates to my estate or you will be contesting my will or my trust. And if that's done properly, that could also become a contest of the will or the trust, even though it relates to um, another instrument. Um, so you've got a no contest clause and no contest clauses. There's a policy of the law that they're supposed to be enforced because they represent the intent and the will of the person who put the no contest clause in their will or trust. However, uh, approximately uh, January 1st, 2010 has been a long time now. I think I've got the date right. 
California legislature changed the no contest clause law enforcement um, standards to be what they are now, as embodied in probate code section 21.311. And that section relates to the enforcement of the clause. And that clause states that a no contest clause shall only be enforced against the following types of contests. A, and number one is a direct contest that is brought without probable cause. So prior to this law coming in, and it's been there for some time, it used to be that if you contested, generally speaking, if you contested a will or trust and you lost, you didn't get anything. Now, because of some rationale that the legislature developed, and I believe the legislative history on the, on the statute, is my belief, would support that the legislature found that, look, some contests were brought and people didn't win them, but it would be, it would be inappropriate to penalize them if, if there were some indicia of lack of capacity, if there were some indicia of undue influence, but they just didn't get it over the finish line. And they, the court says, you know, there's, I can't find that this person did this against their own will. And I don't believe that the influence that was exerted on them, if any, was enough to, um, uh, to, to defeat the instrument, to uh, render the instrument null and void, such that if you didn't win it, you'd lose everything. So now they say you, the law has been this way for uh, since my recollection is correct since 2010. Um, that you're only going to have enforcement of that clause if you don't have probable cause to bring the contest, and um, that causes us to jump from the enforcement clause A1. And I'm going to skip some of the other aspects of uh, that follow A and jump all the way down to B. And it says in 21.3.11.B that for the purposes of this section, probable cause exists if at the time of filing a contest, the facts known to the contestant, in other words, the person who wants to bring the, ch the challenge, would cause a reasonable person to believe that there is a reasonable likelihood that the requested relief will be granted after an opportunity for further investigation or discovery. I'm reading the black letter of the statute to you as, as we have our discussion. So let's unpack that a little bit. Long time ago, it used to be you contest, you lose, you're out. It's an interim clause, they used to call it, from the Latin. It's terrifying that that would happen. And in the old days, if you had a, a petition that you wanted to bring before the court that you thought someone might say is a contest, but you didn't really want it to be regarded as a contest because you did not want to trip the no contest clause in the instrument to negatively affect your client, you could bring at that time what was called a safe harbor petition. They don't have that anymore, 
at least in this context, now they have this, um, you could petition the court for instructions on just about anything, but there used to be a specific statutory procedure for safe harbor where a judge would preliminary decide, no, this is not a contest, you may go forward. Why would someone want to do that? Well, what if someone says, I wanna complain about how the executor is administering the estate? I'm not complaining about what I'm getting or how the, the, the will is invalid, but I don't like what they're doing in administering the estate. I don't like what they're doing in marshalling the assets. I don't like what the trustor is doing in accounting of the, of the trust, or excuse me, the trustee, the successor trustee. I don't like the way the administration is going. Though so those things aren't contests, but depending how someone pleads something and how someone litigates something, it could develop into one. So you want to be careful there. And in the old days, you would be able to have this safe harbor petition. Now, um, it's a fairly liberal standard, probable cause standard. A lot of people would say that the no contest clause law of today probably guts or uh, diminishes the effectiveness of no contest clauses because it's a it's a standard of reasonability at the time that you file the, the contest. Thus, if someone has a good faith belief and there's good faith factual underpinnings that the person who created the instrument was suffering from a neurocognitive disorder that might inhibit their ability to effectively execute the instrument or that they did not have capacity to know what they were doing at the time the instrument was signed, but they just don't have the medical records yet because they don't have the opportunity to get them because those are private and you need a subpoena and all those kinds of things and go through a process. The law is not gonna penalize that person for bringing the contest necessarily and, and, and um, uh, uh, take them from their inheritance um, if, uh, they, if that belief is in good faith and a reasonable person um, at the outset of the case uh, believed that there was a reasonable likelihood that the requested relief would be granted after an opportunity for further investigation and discovery. Um, we can get into a whole discussion as to whether or not after that discovery is done, if it becomes clear that you don't have a contest, uh, whether you should abandon the contest or not. Um, and that's a very nuanced discussion for another day. But if you at the front end of a case, um, and I'll, let make, I'll, I'll give a hypothetical. Let's say someone was uh, getting 50-50 uh, on an estate and they were written down to uh, 20% of the estate or 10% of the estate. And they say, well, that's not fair. I was supposed to be splitting it with a sibling 50-50. I don't know what happened. I think that was unduly influenced and I was gonna get half and now I'm only getting 10% or even much less than that. Well, the person might pause and say, well, I don't wanna lose my 10% either if the contest fails, but if I have a good faith basis at the front end of the lawsuit, the no contest clause wouldn't be applied against me. And you could even lose the contest, but still get your inheritance. And there might be some issues of surcharge as to fees for conducting the contest and so forth, but the no contest clause would not necessarily apply. It's something that you really need to discuss with the lawyer before you initiate a case. We're happy to talk about it with you if you have that kind of situation 
in your life. Uh, you can give us a call. We'll, we'll talk about that. So to review, what's not a contest? Generally, I'll say this. What is not a contest is things that um, matters that you bring before the court about the administration of um, the trust that uh, do not directly challenge the validity of the underlying instrument, but maybe challenging the, uh, the manner in which the estate is being administered. That does not give one a free pass to challenge trust administration and make allegations that are, 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 uh, that are not valid um, just to create, uh, you really want to make sure that any action you bring when you discuss with a lawyer um, that you, you have a good faith basis for your lawsuit, that there's, there's facts and evidence, at least you believe that there are in good faith and there's uh, for any legal action that you bring. But, but questioning the administration of a trust, if we were to put it in that category, or questioning the administration uh, of a will would not necessarily, would not constitute a contest, generally speaking. Um, a direct contest California case law. There are many cases on the subject. Um, looking at an excerpt of one, Mary v. v. Shamtubi, which is 297 Cal. Uh, I have the Cal Reporter site here, uh, Cal Reporter 3rd, uh, 397. Um, you know, an action by beneficiary of a sub trust to void the trust amendment and restatement based on lack of capacity, undue influence, and fraud constituted a direct contest of the trust. That's what a contest is. Now, how is a no contest clause interpreted by the court? Well, then we go to section first interpretation, and there's all kinds of case law on how to interpret no contest clauses, but the statutory, a statutory provision on the construction of the no contest clause is 21312 of the California Probate Code, California Probate Code 21312. And that states that um, in determining the intent of the transferor, a no contest clause shall be strictly construed. We could have a long discussion on another podcast about well, what all that is meant by strict construction, but generally it means that you're not going to expand it beyond what it means. And that although no contest clauses, and there are cases that say are enforceable and favored by public policy of discouraging litigation and preserving the transferor's intent, the person who makes the will or trust, they are strictly construed and you can't extend them to all other things beyond their plainly intended function. So someone can't say, you're contesting this will or trust because I'm doing a bad job of administering the estate and therefore you're contesting it, you get nothing. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that you're, you're having some difficulty or you're not doing things right or you're, you're this trust, you know, sometimes people, sometimes uh, administrators, particularly when they're not um, very experienced or they don't have, legal guidance or um, they're lay people, they might they, they tr trust administration or the administration of the state may go on for much, 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 much longer than, than it should. And, and people 
complain and they go to court to say, we need to expedite this thing. We need to move it forward. Uh, there are cases from time to time where, um, you know, trust or uh, people are successor trustees after the original trust or passes away. Uh, they don't do anything for years and they can be compelled to do something and possibly be um, surcharged for their lack of action if they have assumed the fiduciary duty to administer that instrument. Um, and that, you know, wouldn't be a contest and someone saying that it is to discourage people from challenging their, uh, you know, their either intentional or perhaps um, negligent or, or lack of knowing of what to do to pursue things. Some people just are not up to the task of administering an estate. Um, that would not be a contest. But so, so the law does support no contest clauses, but it also has standards that protect the person who is bringing the, the, the contest um, against having it enforced against them if they act in good faith that the court would determine a reasonable person might believe, look, you didn't win your contest, but the front end of this case, you had a, you had a reasonable good faith belief that subsequent discovery would um, merit out your case. And then in that case, the no contest clause would not be enforced against even the unsuccessful contestant. Again, this is a discussion. It's not legal advice. If you have anything like this that is facing you or a family member, um, talk to an attorney and feel free to give our offices a call. We'll be happy to discuss these important topics with you. And thank you for joining us today on the podcast, Your Inheritance, and we hope to see you on our next podcast. Thank you very much. You've been tuning in to Your Inheritance, your rights, your obligations, your responsibilities with your host, Peter Booknevich. If you're being sued over an estate or if you feel you're not getting your share, Peter's firm can help you. You can find this show at www.betrustlaw.com and on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thank you for your positive feedback, comments, questions, and for sharing the show with others. 